Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We'll have our hands full, but uh, you know that it's one of those games where you better watch what you wish for. Oh, yes. Careful what you wish for when you're talking about getting Tom Brady riled up. This was a long time ago, but I remember in 2007, the Patriots were undefeated. They were getting ready to play the Steelers in the month of December. Anthony Smith, a little-known safety for the Steelers, ran his mouth about guaranteeing a victory over New England and ending their unbeaten season. And... Tom Brady picked on Anthony Smith early and often and let him have it, got in his face, and then said he didn't know anything about what Smith had said, which was baloney. So do not give Tom Brady extra motivation, Chris. Although I have a feeling Chase Young can back it up a little bit more than Anthony Smith could. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. I mean, yes, first off, Anthony Smith, Chase Young. Chase Young, one of the best defensive players in football. Anthony Smith, not exactly that at his time. You know, and I'll say this, like Brady doesn't need motivation. First off, I mean, he wants to shove it up New England's butt and and the Belichick and everybody. He's totally focused in on all of that. I would imagine one minute in one minute in. Hello, London. And then uh, (laughs) with like with Chase, Chase Young, I will say this. I do like that. You know, for a young guy, he is a little outspoken and seems to be taking that leadership role. You kind of heard Collinsworth talk about where it's unusual to hear a rookie be that vocal or, you know, just uh, puffing his chest out that way, which I I think defensive players should be like that. So I kind of like it. Well, and the difference between Anthony Smith and Chase Young beyond the skill level, the reality that Smith was on the back end of the defense. Chase Young plays one of the positions that typically is critical to having good fortune against Tom Brady. You get to him early. You get to him often. He starts looking at the pass rush instead of looking down the field. And on those rare occasions where we've seen him rattled in a big game, it's because he's been hit and hit and hit legally, but hit and hit and hit by the the pass rush, typically when you can get four guys who can bust through the offensive line and get to him and Washington has that. They may not have a whole lot more than that, but they have that. They do. I mean, it, it's a special front four, and they don't. They rarely have to blitz or do anything like that or put their corners in a vulnerable position against a Mike Evans if he's healthy enough to play or Godwin or anybody like that. So it's going to allow them to have a little flexibility in the back end, definitely, but it's going to be on those those four. It definitely is. I mean, run game, pass game, whatever it is, Yes, because they can't play man-to-man. They're not going to be able to take those type of chances. They're not that great at it. That front four is going to have to dominate in the run game, pass game. And I would think, Mike, really, I mean, come on. I know we're doing our picks podcast in a few days. Like, Washington's defense is going to have to force, I would think, multiple turnovers for them to win the game. 
I think multiple. One one short field's not going to do it. I, I don't think they're probably going to have to make two or two or more. Well, and I also think they're going to have to turn those turnovers into touchdowns. Yeah, right. On that same play. Yeah. On, well, that could be get too. some fumbles or interceptions returned for touchdowns. Right. We got all week though to discuss that in the other five playoff games. For now, the news coming out of Monday, and usually most, if not all, of the coaches who were going to be fired, we knew about by Sunday night this year. Two guys were let go on what they used to call Black Monday. But again, it happens either during the season or on the final day of the season. It happened for Anthony Lynn, the Chargers coach, on Monday. And the vibe coming out of L.A. for the past several weeks has been, we respect Anthony Lynn. We're not going to make any decisions. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to start talking to people behind his back. We're going to let him get through this season. And then we're going to make a decision. And they got four straight wins as a result of it, maybe in hindsight, the four straight wins don't really help them if we consider the Philadelphia dynamic, which we'll be talking about in an hour. But still, they finish on a high note. They win four in a row, and then they promptly fire Anthony Lynn. It's not a surprise that they did it. The management of the games was in question. They have too much talent to have been three and nine. The low point was the 45 to nothing loss at home to the Patriots with five games left in the season. And... You know, it's a it's an attractive job. And this is a an ideal time. If you're ever gonna make a change early in a franchise quarterback's career, let's go ahead and do it now and let's put the the sign out in the front yard, making it clear that you've got a very, very, very attractive position for a head coach to choose to come to and work with Justin Herbert. So, you know, you and I, Chris, have been ambivalent about this because we like Anthony Lynn, yeah. but the Chargers decided it was time and now it's time and now they have an opportunity to get a really good head coach to to continue to help Justin Herbert improve. Yeah, I mean that that's the exciting thing. Anthony Lynn, you know, there was some good things he did there, you know, but it, it, the last two years, play has you know gone in the wrong direction. Even though there was moments this year where you go, seems like they can play against anybody and and kind of hang in there, you know, uh, for the for the most part, other than that New England game, like we talked about, but. The, the biggest thing with Anthony Lynn, too, last year, you know, we saw some end-of-the-game disappointment, right? Phillip Rivers, I certainly was part to blame there. He, he went through a funk last year. This year, we just saw repetitive issues down the stretch of games. It was just one thing or another. It didn't matter whether it was special teams, the offense running the ball at the wrong time, you know, improper usage of time timeouts, all those things. And you know, that's what came back to bite him. And it's never a good look, Mike, or something is off when you have a top 10 offense and a number 11 defense in football and you're really nowhere near the playoff conversation. That tells you something's being done wrong. But, like, to your point, I, I mean, I don't know. I know, like, everybody wants Trevor Lawrence. Isn't this the best job out there? I think this is the best job out there. You got a guy that we, we know is on the way to superstardom at quarterback. And there's other pieces there. I would think this is a job that's as in high demand as any that's that's available this year in the NFL. I would always take the quarterback who has shown he can do it over the one who right? hasn't. Right. Because with the one who hasn't, you still don't know until he does it. With Justin Herbert, you know what you're getting and you know what he can do and you've got almost a full season of film to look at. The problem with the Chargers in recent years has been too many close games. And if right. you're going to be in that many close games, you had better be Bill Belichick and find a way when the game is on the line to bend it all in your favor. And Anthony Lynn couldn't do that enough. Remember, we've talked multiple times about Philip Rivers' comment after the 2018 season when they were 12-4. and four. We could yes. have been 16-0 or 6-10. Well, that luck started going against them sharply in 2019 and 2020, and now Anthony Lynn is out. If you're going to be a sustained long-term coach, you can't just be skin-of-the-teeth victories. You have to be winning some games. Not all of them, but you have to be winning some games convincingly. It can't come down to the wire. It can't be... A, a key decision here or there made in the moment, especially if you're not going to be making on a consistent basis good decisions. The right decision, that right. The That's issues. the big thing. Right. You're right. They got in those close games and did everything you said, and then it came down to key moments, and usually they found a way to mess it up. And you're right. That's like a double whammy there for a head coach. And, you know, sorry to see him go. I really am. 
uh, because I do like him, like you said. But yeah, that's gonna be. I, I think that's. I think that's the job. To your point, it's you know we know Trevor Lawrence. Yes, all all awesome. Yes, you know Deshaun Watson with the Houston Texans, amazing. That's certainly up there. But you think Joey Bosa, Derwin James, you know. You know, some of the, the tight end play, Hunter Henry, and of course him and Keenan Allen. There's pieces there already to play with to think you could turn that team around in a hurry and be in a major player with, with a big-time, big-time quarterback. Now, whoever gets that job, I think one of the first things he needs to do when he walks through the door is commission some sort of an internal study on strength and conditioning, training, flexibility. What are they doing right or wrong? Because they get too many guys injured. They do. That's been an issue with the Chargers. And until you really get into the nuts and bolts of it and look at what you're doing and why you're doing, you know, we see guys every week get twisted up into knots and they bounce up and they're fine. These are are professional athletes, highly conditioned, very flexible, and they escape injury more often than not. But with Chargers, it's been not. And there's too many key players who aren't available. You mentioned Derwin James. He didn't play at all this year. One of the best safeties in yeah, football. They didn't right. have the benefit of him at all. And you constantly have to worry about Joey Bosa. What can they do better? And to the extent that your coach becomes kind of the CEO, and that's really the question of what they're looking for. What do they want? Is this a guy who's going to be subservient to Tom Telesco? Are they looking for someone who can take over the organization? Do they want someone who's been around, who's got experience as a head coach? For almost a decade, like a Jason Garrett, a lot yeah. of people were surprised last night when his name surfaced because the book on him is close the book and throw it away, frankly, as a head coach. But what do you think they should be looking for by way of type of coach to get the most out of not just Justin Herbert, but the rest of the organization? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, like, Mike, first off, I mean, you're right. They got to figure out what they want. I think, like, if they wanted to go that CEO route, you know, management type route. That's probably where Jason Garrett comes in to talk there, right? That's 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 where I would think that name comes about. You know, he's been a guy that, you know, I know it didn't like blow us away in Dallas, but hey, Dallas didn't look that great this year without him. They were kind of a mess. Maybe he was a little better than we should give him, you know, give him credit for. But like the guy to me, Mike, without a doubt, I, you got Justin Herbert. You got already a top 10 quarterback in football. You got a guy that I think is one of the five best arms and throwers and passers in football. You go full Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes on this. You go offensive head coach and get in an arms race with the rest of football and say, we don't care if we're in the same division with the Chiefs. And that's where I go Brian Dayball. I love Eric Bieniemy. He deserves a job. I'm just not a big fan of let's take a guy from a team within our division and try to copy what they do. I don't know. Show, I don't really know that formula ever working. To me, bringing a guy like Dayball, who just worked with a young quarterback in Josh Allen, and we see the results, and then, I mean, you just you go after it, and you you try to get you sign big time receivers and everything like that. You try to become the biggest show in L.A. because you got a quarterback that can make you the biggest show in L.A. Yeah, and I think you're right. They need somebody who's going to come in with that energy and that vision and who is an offensive guy. Something that dawned on me yesterday, and I've thought of this in the past, but it really crystallized as we were hearing rumors that Gary Kubiak, the Vikings offensive coordinator, is contemplating and planning to retire. Right. The Vikings have had a revolving door at offensive coordinator the past several years. I, I And I know Coach Dungy would disagree with me on this. I'd never hire a defensive coach, not in this climate, because if you hire a defensive coach and your team is successful, you're losing your offensive coordinator. If you hire an offensive coach and your team is successful, maybe you keep your defensive coordinator. Dennis Allen's name never comes up. Right. And he's been a great defensive coordinator for the Saints. Right. But you think of the Saints as an offensive team and Sean Payton's in charge. And Dennis Allen is just kind of like, what do I have to do to get considered? But but if you That's get a, a defensive point, guy and you, and you get a coordinator who works wonders yeah. with Justin Herbert, see you later, offensive coordinator. Now you got to find another one. Uh, I mean, it's it's, it's you're right. It's it's uh, certainly something you got to think about. You know, when you make that type of hire, you got to think two or three years down the road a little bit to what could happen, what could happen to the staff, all of those things. And you know, to your point, here we are. Like, I mean, again. Wink Martindale is one of the big best defensive minds in football. We don't really hear anything about him. 
Robert Sala, again, had a great year, and I know he's getting some interest, but it doesn't seem like the buzz is just like, you know, out of control to where, you, you, you mean, offensive is the way to go right now. It does seem that way. It seems to be the in, in vogue thing, but especially when you have a guy like Justin Herbert. I think that's that's where you just got to go, all right, we have something special here, and we can we can win games strictly on his right arm, and he has the type of talent to carry the team, and if we put a system and a few players around him, they could be one of the more fun teams to watch in football, which will bring the fans in. But, of course, we see, you you know, you can win that way and, and be very dangerous. I'm going to give back Casey credit for putting this one in my ear because I wouldn't have thought of it, but this is a good point. The, the offensive coaches tend to create the vibe of head coach in training. Defensive coordinators – not across the board. Sure. I'm thinking of Coach Dungy again because he was not this way at all, which may be one of the reasons why he was an attractive head coaching candidate. Defensive coordinators are a little over the top, a little rough and tumble, sure. a little Rex Ryan-ish. Right. You know, you've got Robert Sala as the cheerleader on the sidelines. You've got you've got you know that that whole Ryan vibe that's floating around. You've got guys who. You know, Wick Martindale with the the, the Kenny Powers mullet. I, you, you you've got a different kind of a character. Sure. That some owners may not be comfortable saying, here are the keys, please try to drive it safely. I, I, I think that's, again, a very fair assessment. They're not, not not necessarily always the guys that are the most buttoned up, like CEO, you know, stand in front of the, the podium and, and the emblem of the team behind you. Like, yeah, okay, maybe they might not win that aspect of being a head coach as compared to others. But, but I, I think at the end of the day, you know, it is about your coaching ability. And I do think that owners need to get over that a little bit. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I know we want young offensive guys and all that. And we're talking about Brian Dayball and the Chargers. Okay, it makes sense there. But uh, I still think like in the big grand scheme of things, owners right now are dropping the ball on some of those type of guys. Wink Martindale, Sala, Dan Campbell, you know, down with the New Orleans Saints. Guys that, yeah, okay, they don't look like, you know, Johnny CEO, but they can coach a team. And I don't know. what I mean, tell me about Mike Vrabel. How's that working out in Tennessee? Oh, pretty good. Curmudgeon, you know, doesn't have that, you know, CEO look. Uh, so, so, uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but he's Go already ahead. lost Matt LaFleur and he could lose. Sure, Arthur but Smith. your point that, about that is very problem. real. You're right. That yeah. point is very real. No doubt about it. Uh, and, and back to Jason Garrett. And look, I, 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 it, you're right. Cowboys fans actually missed him this year. That's how bad it was for the Cowboys. Early in the season, in pretty much every Cowboys game, at some point Jason Garrett's name would be trending because Cowboys fans were pining for Jason Garrett. But there were flaws there. Early in his time with the team, there was the issue of can he call plays while he's also managing the game as a coach? Right. And he couldn't. So eventually they took that away. And then there was the notorious icing of his own kicker, if you remember that. I think it was in a game against the Cardinals. And that just kind of settled in. It was He, he was a guy who was on the way up and reached a plateau and never really moved from there. Sure. And I, I, I don't think, all due respect, I don't think that's what the Chargers need. It could work. I'm not saying it, it won't. But when you had Tony Romo and you had all the spending power that Jerry Jones brings to the table, and you have the glitz and the glamour of America's team, and he did a great job coexisting with some really strong personalities. That's right. I just don't, I just don't think that is the formula right now with the Chargers. You don't have a lot of strong personalities running that team. You need somebody who's going to come in and kickstart a team that has been second-class citizen to the Rams ever since they both ended up back in L.A. And I think you're, you need somebody who's more dynamic. You need somebody as dynamic as Sean McVay, if not more dynamic than Sean McVay, to really close that gap. Because I think the Chargers have the better roster right now than the Rams, uh, but they clearly don't have the better coach. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. It, it, it's right there. You're right. It's, it's not far off. I mean, if the Rams out do have a better roster, it's by very little. Um, you know, I, I understand, like, the optics around Jason Garrett. Uh, I look at him as a little bit more, you know, in a little bit more of a positive way, I think, than most people. And listen, I know I'm biased, too. Yeah, I know him. I, I played with him in Tampa Bay. Um, sure. But I think it goes back a little bit to like what you said earlier. 
It's what are you looking for? And he can be that CEO type of guy. You just mentioned all the things he had to deal with in Dallas, how well he did managing that situation. You know, you talked about the Chargers and, you know, the injuries and the issues like that. That's what that kind of head coach does. He gets everybody in the organization on the same page. What's the deal? Why are we getting so hurt so much? What are we going to do to fix this? How are we going to change it? Blah, blah, blah. I don't just coach football. I'm going to get into all aspects. I think that's where the beauty of Jason Garrett is, let alone, hey, took over Tony Romo at a fairly young age, did what he did with Dak Prescott. I'm sure that's the appeal there, but I I hear what you're saying. It's not sexy. It's not going to get the L.A. Chargers fan base going, oh, my gosh, here we go. This is going like, you know, everything we dreamed of. No, it's not. It would be a different approach altogether, and, yeah, I'm with you. I kind of want the – Let's go for the high-flying offensive guy and go for it, and that's where I like Brian Dayball. We need to move on to the Jaguars, but one thing I want to say for now, and we may have to find some space to develop this because I think it's going to take some time to really break it down, but isn't it amazing that Josh McDaniel's name just isn't really no, it's not there this close year. close to the top of the hot list anymore. Right. I think when he left the Colts at the altar, whatever the reasons – and maybe he should have done a better job of getting the real reasons out if the reasons are more compelling than I just changed my mind or they threw more money at me or they made me promises or whatever it is that happened when he went to clean out his office after Super Bowl 52. I think that that no one is going to risk having that happen to them. That's the simple explanation for why McDaniels isn't bubbling up because I think he'd be perfect for this Chargers job, sure. frankly. To, if, to the extent that the Chargers need a top-to-bottom reevaluation of everything they're doing, now it may take several years to get to where they need to be, but Justin Herbert is the guy around whom you build for the next 10 years, so it would make sense. And if I were Josh McDaniels, I'd be very interested. I just don't know that teams are going to be interested in McDaniels after what happened with the Colts a few years well, ago. All right. I'll, I'll, well, don't forget, you too, last year, he, you know, there was a lot of play, and we heard you and I heard a lot of rumors about him with the New York Giants, right? the Carolina Panthers thing that happened there a little bit. There was certainly names circulating, but yeah, last year wasn't a great offensive year with Brady there, the Patriots. And then of course this year wasn't, you know, great either. We know that. So it's a, what have you done for me lately type of thing? And yeah, he might be stuck in a spot here now where he might have to wait for a new quarterback or whatever that is and wait for the offense to explode again before he ever becomes the hot name. But that just shows you how flawed the process is. is. That that what you did as a coach this year defines you. Even if you have an extended body of work. And what happens is they lock onto somebody who just happened to trip into a good year for whatever reason now and their team did well. And instead of being seven and nine, they were eleven and five. And just because maybe a few calls go their way, a couple lucky bounces go their way, and all no, of a sudden the right, guy's Mike. a great coach. Yeah. Whereas if they hadn't gotten those breaks, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's it's a it's just a a strange reality, and the good organizations can rise above that no doubt. temptation to get caught up in what happened this year. What happened this year in Jacksonville is they won their first game and then lost their next 15. Here is Shad Khan, the owner of the team, talking about the two vacancies the Jaguars now have. They had general manager as of yesterday. They have head coach with the firing of Doug Marone. Certainly, we have a lot of salary cap uh availability along with the draft picks and um, obviously the number one pick. But uh, what's evaded the history of the Jags uh, really has been a franchise quarterback. And I think what's unique uh, certainly is that we have the ability now to make a choice and it's going to define the franchise moving forward. And he's absolutely right. They control the board. They've got the number one Picking the draft. They tanked the old-fashioned way, a multi-week effort that no one actually noticed. That's the way you do it, not in a primetime game in Week 17, but I digress. Doug Marone is out. I think that Doug Marone is out because they think they know who they're going to get. The fact that Urban Meyer, frankly, has been talking to way too many people about the belief held by him, and if he's wrong, the Jaguars had better say something, and the fact that they haven't said anything tends to cement the notion that what Urban Meyer is talking to people about is accurate. He thinks he's getting that job if he wants it. The question is, does he want it? I heard yesterday he's looking for $12 million a year, which really isn't all that crazy in no. light of what the market currently is for exactly. coaches. Right. And, and uh, he just has to decide that he's willing to risk, and I think this is what it comes down to. Are you willing to risk your legacy 
as a great college coach to roll the dice at the next level, given that it's even harder at the next level to compete consistently, to win consistently, to control and to dominate consistently, consistently like he did at Florida and Ohio State. Nick Saban found that out the hard way, and it may be that Urban Meyer isn't isn't willing to learn from Saban's example, and he has to reach out and touch that hot thing himself to realize that, yes, it is very hot. Yeah, well, I I mean, first off, you're right. The $12 million thing, I think a lot of people were shocked like that. That, that, That's, you know, David Tepper and Matt Rule changed the landscape for coaching. $9.5 million for a guy who never coached in the NFL, yes, everything's changed. So that is like – if you are somewhat established, that's what you're making. Pete Carroll, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, trust me, they're making a lot more than $12 million a year. A lot more, okay? So that that get that out of the way. I mean, everything you bring up with Urban Meyer, you know, it, it's, it's true. First off, yeah, there's questions about how he'll adjust to the NFL. One of the greatest things about Urban Meyer, yeah, he's a great football coach, but I was recruited by him when he was in a, a position coach at Notre Dame. He's got amazing people skills, so that's great. But that's also what gave him the great advantage at Florida and Ohio State because of recruiting. So you lose that aspect in the NFL. And I think the last thing with Urban Meyer, too, that would just scare me to a degree is we've seen he's got a little bit of a shelf life. He's getting up there in years. And the last two jobs he left at Florida and Ohio State were because he was stressed and tired. Usually stressed and tired doesn't go away as you get older. That becomes more. So that's where I would just be a little hesitant, or I guess I question it to a a degree, Michael. When his name first came up as a candidate for jobs, he was linked to the Jaguars and the Lions because Chris Spielman, the former Ohio State linebacker, is now whispering into the ear of owner Sheila Ford Hamp. And I found an old monologue from Chris Spielman on a podcast where he talked about the torment that Urban Meyer deals with. And I just wonder if the Lions aren't in this, it makes me wonder, does Chris Spielman truly believe that Meyer can deal with the torment right. at the NFL level, which is even worse than the college level, where you can't stack the deck with a great array of, of recruits? you got to deal with the salary cap. you got to deal with parity. You've got to deal with so much more stuff and so many more great coaches than when you're running roughshod over guys who are never going to see an NFL game without buying a ticket when you're going against some of these other college coaches. So... I think that may be one of the reasons why we're only hearing Jaguars at this point for Urban Meyer. And yeah. that doesn't mean he's not going to be good. Right. But 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 it's Nick Saban all over again, isn't it? And it could be after one year of it, Urban Meyer says, what the hell am I doing? Just like Nick Saban did. Nick Saban was miserable in Miami. He got out after two years. It just didn't fit with his skill set. And there's a chance that the NFL won't fit with Urban Meyer's skill set either. That, that's what would scare me. That, that would. And, and, you know, listen, I, I doubt that. I do think if Urban Meyer decides to do it, uh, you know, he's very smart football man, X's and O's wise. He'll hire the correct people to help his football team out. But it is an adjustment. College football is not the same as the NFL. Like you said, the grind on the coaches is a different grind. You're not like fighting and clawing all week to make sure you can recruit and get the best players. You're fighting and clawing all week to make sure you have the advantage in one or two plays of the football game that'll get you over the hump to win it because the team you're playing is every bit as good as you or better every week. That's where the stress gets on NFL, you know, head head football coaches. But Jacksonville, there is some young talent there, you know. A guy like Urban Meyer would be big for that area. It's SEC country. He's very popular there. We know that. And, you know, by all accounts, they got Trevor Lawrence coming to town. And that's not a bad, you know, canvas to paint with if you're going to take over a head coaching job. My big concern about Urban Meyer at this point is he wasn't able to recruit you to Notre Dame. That's a big negative for me. Well, no. why, why didn't you go to Notre Dame? I, I actually, I, I mean, I loved him at the time – they were a little bit of like just run the football and play defense. They were a little bit prehistoric on the offensive side of the ball. And I can remember sitting at the pregame, uh, at the spring game, my my uh, junior year at high school before my senior year, just going, I don't want to play in this offense. This is boring. So uh, that was that was the end of that. Sorry, sorry, Notre Dame. Uh, (laughs) let's move on. Um, I could say a lot, but let's just move on. The Bengals actually announced yesterday. And when I saw in my email box statement from the Cincinnati Bengals, I thought, uh Oh, uh Oh, 
Zach Taylor did get fired. Because what other statement do you send out on Black Monday? Statement from the Cincinnati Bengals. And I clicked on it, and I had to read it two times to make sure that, yeah, because it's this word salad, two paragraphs. It's like, are they firing him or are they not firing him? Right. Oh, they're not firing him. Right. They issued a statement on the morning of Black Monday telling the world we are not firing our head coach, which was kind of weird and kind of stunning. And maybe, maybe well, I have some kind blame of for weird, that. kind of stunning. <laughs> But there was this guy who went on national TV on Sunday night <laughs> and said, we're not sure if he's out of the woods yet. So maybe that's why they needed to make a national maybe, statement. Maybe that's maybe that's why they needed to do it. But maybe. Uh, look, I, I, there was and, and there was look, I'm not I'm not. Uh, there's enough real stuff to talk about. It wasn't made up. There was a sense he was in trouble. Sure, and I definitely. think what saved him. This is what has saved Bengals coaches time and again. It's been saving Bengals coaches for 50 years. They don't want to pay you to not work. They don't want the buyout. And when you get to the point where you have no guaranteed money left in your contract, that's when you are gone. When they fired Marvin Lewis, I was initially stunned. And then it came out, oh, by the way, the two-year extension he did last year only had one guaranteed year. So then I'm not surprised. They don't want to pay someone to not work and then have to go hire somebody else on top of it. So they're going to continue to do what they've been doing, 625-1, and one, good enough apparently, to give it another shot, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But there definitely was a sense as of Sunday that Zach Taylor's status was not entirely resolved. So as of Monday morning, it was resolved. Real quickly, we got to take a break. Do you have a gut sense of the hierarchy of these jobs? I. It's not fair to the ones we put at the bottom, and they're all good. There's only 32 of these jobs. Right. But I think we, I think we agree Chargers 1, Jaguars 2. Is that fair to say? I, I, th well, I would, you know, what do you think? Would you rather go Jaguars in front of the Texans with Deshaun Watson there? You know, because of like the point you said, we know it's Trevor Lawrence coming to town, but we don't know, no yet, right? We know Deshaun Watson's a superstar. So that's where I'm like a little stuck between those two. As much as that, as attractive as that Jaguars job is, man, Deshaun Watson being there uh, is certainly, you know, a, a, a shiny, shiny toy to play with. Here's my problem with the text. Yeah, and, I know. And I wrote about this yeah. Friday, and I need to dust it off in the aftermath of the John Elway news because now whoever takes the GM job there has has to go between John Elway to get to whoever's in charge. And still, we don't know who's in charge in Denver. But the Jackies to be dynamic. The fact that he's got so much power and the fact that the owner has allowed him to have so much power, that, that would be my concern because they have a mess in Houston right now with the draft picks that were gone. They don't get the third overall pick because it was part of the Larry McTunsil trade. How are you going to turn this around? You have the most important piece. How are you going to get the other pieces around it and how are you going to make it work? And I'd have real questions about ownership and Easterby. So that diminishes the job for me. And, and I'm willing to take the risk that Trevor Lawrence may not become Deshaun Watson because in Jacksonville, I go straight to the owner and I don't have to worry about these other things that get in the way of what's important. You mentioned all the stuff you've got to do as a head coach, right. all the work you have to put in. When you have internal issues and dynamics and potential threats and people who are trying to stab you in the back, and I'm not saying that's Easter, but I'm saying when you have that generally floating around, I guess I am. When you have that generally floating around, it makes it harder for you to do what you need to do. That's what these people don't realize. The people who are floating around trying to position for power and, bl and who's to blame and all that, that creates a, a very real distraction for the coach who's busting his ass trying to win games every week. So I want to go to a place where there's none of that. And I'm entrusted to run the program, and you let me do my thing, and you stay out of my way unless and until you're ready to fire me, and then we have that conversation and we go our separate ways. Oh, I mean, I, those are all fair points, and I think that's very real, and I think there is a lot of people that are going to look at that Houston Texans job and wonder, you know, the chain of command, what's going on there, the ownership of the family. There's been a lot of issues there the last few years. There, there's no doubt about that. You know, added to the fact, Mike, that, you know – it's a, it's it's really not a, I don't want to say a total rebuild, but man, there's a lot of holes to fill there in, in Houston. A lot of holes on that roster. They have that's not going to be just like, hey, we come down there and we get Deshaun Watson going and everything's going to be fine and dandy. No, there's not very much you know impressive things to look at on either side of the roster. So you know all the things you talk about added to that, uh, it will make it an uphill climb for whoever takes over. Yeah, so I'll go Chargers, Jaguars, and see, that's uh, 
all these other jobs, Texans, Jets, Lions, Falcons, have this dynamic of who else do I have to worry about while I'm trying to do my job? In Atlanta, and frankly for me, I put Atlanta at the bottom of the list because you're going to have a huge cap mess one way or the other. If you trade Matt Ryan or Julio Jones, if you keep both or neither, you're going to have a mess. And I don't know what Rich McKay's role in all this is. He's the guy who was the GM. Now he's back in football operations. How much of his butt do I have to kiss? Yeah, How much right. is he going to interfere with what I'm doing? How much? What is he going to say to the owner? Is the owner going to listen to him or is the owner going to listen to me? I don't, frankly, all due respect, Rich, Falcons, Mr. Blank, I want nothing to do with that job as it's currently constituted. If I have options, I'm going somewhere else. They're going to end up with people who don't have any other choices and who just want to be coaches and general managers. That's my assessment. Lions, same deal. I love Chris Spielman as a player. I don't know what he's doing in that front office. Is this Matt Millen light? What, you got Rod Wood as a team president. You got Chris Spielman talking to the owner. Where do I fit into this? Right. See, and, and, and this is a very underrated dynamic. Coaches and GMs want to run the show, and they don't have to deal with these other – they don't want to have to deal with these other people who are going to be trying to run the show from the sideline. Yeah. And, and, and so all four of those jobs – and now with the Jets, it's more about the, the roster's a mess, and I don't know what the hell to do to make that team better right now other than trust Joe Douglas to focus on offensive line, defensive line. Just keep focusing on offensive line, defensive line, and everything will take care of itself. So I think I would go Chargers, Jaguars, Jets – and then the other three, I'd say wait till next year. Chargers, Jaguars, Jets. And then the other three, you're saying wait for next year. What? I'd say pass. If I oh, have a wait till, wait till next year's cycle. Unless I'm desperate, unless I feel like my window's closing, unless I think I'm not going to be on the hot list next year when it comes to the Lions, the, the Texans, or the Falcons, I'd say thank you, no thank you. I'm going to stay where I am. Well, that, I, that's what I would I, do. I hear what you're saying. I hear you, but somebody will be desperate. And it's like you said. Oh, I, mean, I know. Well, there, there always is. No, there always, there always is. is. It's like you just talked about. I mean, you know, with Josh McDaniels, it's, it's one of those things where you better be careful because if you don't strike when you got your chance, you might not get your chance again. And, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. But I, I totally hear you with what you're saying about those organizations. It is a very real aspect. You're right. Coaches don't want to go to places where they don't understand the dynamics of the power, nor do they want to go there even if they do understand how the power tree or, you know, ladder works there to go, okay, but do I know this person? Do I trust them? And if they don't know them or trust them, man, head coaches are such conservative by nature. I know this guy and I only want to work with this group of people type of people that that will scare people away. There's no doubt. And and uh, they will they, they will make hires and they it may work out. But but anyone with options, I think, would have to take a long, hard look at the Lions, Texans and Falcons and say, maybe maybe I need to go somewhere else or I just need to wait and have confidence that next year my ship will come in. Okay, we need to take a break. When we return, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever couldn't evaluate quarterbacks, so now he won't be evaluating quarterbacks anymore. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. You know, I thought it was the right time. I think that uh, 
with the opportunity that uh, Joe gave me to move up and looking at, uh, you know, the last 10 years, I knew that this was going to, there was going to be a time at some point in time that this is a position I was hopefully to move to. And so gave me the opportunity to move up and I think it's the right time for me. And, and uh, you know, with everything that's gone on this year and being 60 years old and, and uh, really not, uh, you know, there's some other things in life that I'd like to do, but I'd still like to be involved in football. So. You know, it's a great opportunity for me to be able to move up, still um, be, you know, talk with Vic as well as in the new GM and be a part of the big decisions and, and be able to give, uh, you know, my thoughts and my experience where we're coming and hopefully come out with the best decision there. That's John Elway explaining the move yesterday that on the surface uh, doesn't seem as positive as he's selling it to be. And Listening to him, basically what he's becoming is the surrogate owner at a time when there is no owner. And and I think that's the problem the Broncos have had. They're in this strange situation, and it's yeah. lasted for years now, where Pat Boland decided that he was going to put trustees in place. He's got seven children. The trustees have to decide which of the seven children is suited and, and ready to take over ownership of the team it's five six seven years now with no true owner of the team and John Elway has has thrived not not necessarily from a football standpoint but they won a Super Bowl but they've got four straight losing seasons now there isn't that same accountability he's the GM equivalent of John Gruden in Las Vegas where you're just not getting fired and in this case I, I think the critical I would say he he fell upward into this higher role. He he I think he's realized it's not sustainable with him as general manager. Someone else needs to be doing that job. But he's still there and he's still got final say and he basically is operating like the owner would operate. And my guess is he'll keep that job until there is an owner, whether it's a member of the Boland family or which I think is more likely right now they sell the team. Well yeah I mean listen, you know, John Elway, you know, again it was a great start to his GM career. You're right. The last four years have not been good. There's no doubt about that. There's no denying it. But, you know, you talk about, like, the ownership ownership situation and all that. Yeah, that's a real factor in this. And has it gave John Elway more power, maybe? Sure, it has. But, you know, they trust him, the Bolin family. They know John Elway loves the city of Denver and loves the damn Denver Broncos. He's going to do whatever he can to make that football team better. Yeah, they fall on tough times. You know, he's missed on a few draft picks and things like that, you know, but he, he, you know, again, I think I put enough in the bank to earn a few years of like, okay, it's not been very good, but we're getting to that time here. And this is where I think it's interesting into what you're saying, Mike, where it's like, I think another year of mediocrity or below 500 football and he's the GM everybody for sure would be calling for his butt and saying like, oh, they got to fire him and do that. He stays one step ahead of the game this way, you know, not having his butt be on the line necessarily, kind of more of an overseer in a managerial type position. He's 60 years old, like you said. He doesn't want to be in the grind of traveling around and looking at every player and, and evaluating them all the time. And it made sense, I think, for him from that standpoint. And, yeah, I, I think what we're both saying is maybe career – self-preservation a little bit was involved in this decision too. I think it was involved in it more than we realized. Look, now there's somebody to fire. Once they hire a GM, they have somebody to fire if things aren't going well. When you are the GM, you are the guy who is most likely to be fired when things don't go well. In four straight losing seasons, most if not all other general managers aren't going to survive the dysfunction that we've seen with that football team with the revolving door at the head coaching position, the revolving door at the quarterback position. We point out all the time that he can't really evaluate young quarterbacks. He also doesn't do a very good job of hiring coaches. It's been one after another, after another, after another. And he was ready to fire Vance Joseph after one year. Well, dude, you just hired him a year ago. Sure. How did you get that wrong if you're ready to fire him after one year? And he gave him a second year and then fired him. And, and there was a question about Vic Fangio. Well, they just hired him two years ago. What are they getting wrong here? So I think they need a, a different voice, a different mind. And the problem is, to get back to what we discussed last segment, because of Elway's presence, the job of GM becomes less attractive in Denver 
because now you know you've got to deal with Elway. The only difference is you don't have to deal with an owner. If you go into that job accepting that Elway is basically the owner of the team, that that's how he's operating as a practical matter, then okay, maybe. But, you know, the minute they sell that team, you're on the endangered species list if you take that GM job. Well, yeah, that that's the danger of it. There's no jo- There's no doubt. But I also think within this, you know, John Elway's not like, he's not a jerk. He's realistic. He's going to hire, if they, when they hire a GM, he's going to let him run the show and just be involved in a few decisions here and there. I don't think it's going to be about him being involved and nitpicking in every little thing in the world. I think that's part of the reason why he's stepping away. I think he's also telling us, you know, uh, basically that, yeah, he underst- I, I think he's kind of saying like, yeah, we haven't done the greatest job in the front office. Maybe that's why he's moving out of there and Matt Russell, who's been the guy that's been his right-hand man for all these years, he's getting out of there as well. They figured out, okay, yeah, they had a great run. They went to two Super Bowls, you know, AFC Championship game, playoffs, all that. But it's fallen on tough times, and he thinks this is the right decision for himself and, and probably for the Denver Broncos too. Here's the danger, okay? The moment you consciously take a step back from the grind, from the work, from the day in and day out, 16-hour-a-day existence, if not more, and and then you're still involved. I still want to be involved, right? So I reserve the right to do a drive-by whenever I feel like it and tell the GM what he needs to do. But you're not in it every day to truly understand all of the issues and the nuances and the challenges. This isn't a job that can be done part-time, and I feel like that's kind of what he's doing. He's graduating into this part-time overseer role, which is fine as long as you resist the temptation on a day where you say, you know, I feel like going to the facility today and uh, uh, sticking my nose into what they're doing and giving them some unsolicited advice on what they should be doing, even though I'm otherwise not paying attention to what's going on. That's the temptation. That's what he needs to not do. Sure. And we'll see whether or not he can resist the urge, you know, because he still wants to be involved. He just doesn't want to grind. And I think when you get to the point in this life, in this job, in this industry, the way the NFL is, when you're at the point where you don't want to grind anymore, maybe you just need to unplug altogether. Well, you know, I I don't know necessarily about that. I I don't. You know, I think he's still going to grind. He, you know, I don't know what else. He, he's I don't. A, Did you not listen to him? Well, he's done grinding. Okay, but that's he's a different level to a of non-grinding job. It's a different level. Yeah, okay, because that's a different level of grinding. That's, you know, living in a hotel, taking planes everywhere, looking at the size of this guy's calf muscles. Whoa, look at his butt. Look at his <laughs> shoulders. He's sick of that type of grind. 16 hours is nice, like you said. It's more like 18 to 20 in a lot of days. So he's had a hell, he's the hell with that. And I think he is a smart enough human being to know, yes, like you're talking about and my experience talking to the guy and know, he, he's smart enough to know like, all right, I've checked out. Hey, what, what are we trying to accomplish overall as an organization? He's going to help that out. Hey, we're going to make a big trade today. John, what do you think of this? He'll get involved in that. He's not going to be into like, okay, well, I think we got to get a new backup right guard and all of those type of things. Like to your point, if he starts getting into that, then, yeah, it's trouble, and it's going to all fall apart in a hurry. But I, I think he's smart enough, and it's just the time for, for Elway to, to move in a different position. So good for him. Yeah, uh, and uh, again, the, now that the Titans' ownership issue is resolved, which kind of quietly lingered for years, and it was a problem for the league, and the league never really pushed, and they got it taken care of. The Broncos' ownership situation is the hot topic as it relates to that inside football. Where do we have concerns? They're very concerned about Denver, and I think Denver, as I said earlier, it's more likely that it gets sold than it get than it gets worked out. Where one of the seven Bolin children are chosen, and the other six all sign off on it, which is part of what needs to happen. There's too much acrimony there for that to occur. I think that team's getting sold. And that's when John Elway's no longer with the Broncos. And that's when whoever takes this GM job has to update the resume and think about the next move. All right, time for our next move. We're going to play a little game on availability of stars in question for the wild card round, the super wild card round. We'll discuss that next here on PFT Live.
All right, a quick game of one to 10. How big of a loss if the player can't play? And there's the NFC bracket. And on Sunday afternoon in the middle game, you've got the Saints hosting the Bears. Alvin Kamara eligible to play on Sunday. Sean Payton tight-lipped on Monday whether or not Kamara would play because he can't practice. He can't be back with the team until Sunday, the day of the game. So scale of one to 10, how big of a loss if Alvin Kamara, due to his positive COVID-19 test result from last week, if he can't play, how big a loss? Well, I, all right, so 10s being the the like the, the heart, like yes. Yeah. Typically, I, yes. 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 Yeah. One, I, one to 10. 10 I, being the biggest As impact. amazing as Alvin Kamara is, for this game itself and everything, the Bears defense, which has not been real dominant lately, I'm only gonna I'm gonna put it at like a six, uh, as far as how I mean he's important, but if they as long as they have Latavius Murray, you know they'll be okay. That's why I'll say that. Mike Evans, the Buccaneers receiver, MRI showed no structural damage to the knee. He's day to day, one to ten. How big of a loss if he can't play on Saturday night at Washington? Well, well, I mean, we know what a study is, right? We both do. But again, I would say in this particular matchup with Washington and everything like that, they still got Antonio Brown and Gronkowski, and they're playing a team that's offensively challenged. I, I think again, I'm, I don't think it's going to be like, oh no, they're going to have to be a totally different team. They'll be fine in this particular matchup. So I'll, I'll put that at a, a six too, Mike. Buccaneers linebacker Devin White won't play because of his COVID-19 test result. Bruce Arians not happy that they're playing Saturday because he could have played on Sunday. What's his impact one to ten? Well, he's he's awesome. He flies around the football field. I mean, he's sideline to sideline, a physical specimen, awesome and all that. But, you know, it's the same as I said with the other two a little here where I just go, okay, this Washington offense, not real special. Antonio Gibson, not totally normal at running back, still dealing with turf toe, all of that. So they can deal. And they got Levante David there in the middle. I'll put this one. Yeah, I'm going to again, I'm going to go to five here. I think it's it's manageable. They won't be like a totally different defense without Devin White. It'll hurt, but they won't be done. Jamal Adams, the Seahawks safety, he exited the Week 17 game with a shoulder injury. His availability for the game against the Rams is in question. One to ten. Nine. I, this is this one's big. You got the Rams, the bootlegs, and all of that stuff. The run game. You know, he's he's the eraser. So that's one that concerns me more than any other one we've said so far with Jamal Adams. One more quick one, Olivier Vernon. He is done with a ruptured Achilles tendon. Huge. Browns. Huge. The Steelers are going to throw it every play. You need a pass rush. So that's like an eight or a nine again, too, to lose him in this matchup is big. Quick break. We'll be back with more PFT Live. We'll be back. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.